What are we, Dave? What's our show? What's it called? <laughs> You're, you are listening to the audit with Dave Anthony and Joshua Olson. And you're going to do it again. I mean, I always expect you to jump in. And I'm say, looking and at her. Study I'm buddy. looking right at her. I'm looking at Kate Will. And our study buddy, Kate. Our study buddy. Hey. Um, I thought you were going to say this is the West Wing thing, and I would laugh at you again. You see those fools at the back of the class. They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass. They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs. The day you home will just a tear it in half. If you want blood, you got it. You trap a keeper, I'll on it. Give me a crap, I'll blot it. This ain't the tension, baby, this is the This podcast is brought to you by The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet. You can go to levernews.com to find all of their reporting. You can also subscribe to Lever News weekly news podcast, Lever Time, which is available on all major podcast players. If you'd like to support this show, head over to levernews.com slash audit to become a paid supporter. Basically, The Lever built its own version of Patreon, and they even cut out the middleman. And this is how it works. When you become a paid supporter, part of that money goes to the creative team at the audit and part of that money goes to the lever. So not only are you supporting this show, but you'll be directly supporting the levers independent journalism. As an added bonus, every audit supporter will also get access to the levers premium content, including their exclusive newsletters, private podcast feed, ebooks and live events. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can also find the audits tip jar at levernews.com slash audit and leave us a tip. Um, uh, by the way, have either of you guys heard of, um, I had never heard of them until this thing. And I was pleased to find out a lot of other people had, um, the try guys. Yes, I have uh, heard of them. I had never heard of them. I, I just heard of them from the story. I heard of them from the cheating thing, but it's, and, yeah. Yeah. Well, here, I don't know Kate, what to you, make you of do a cheating. lot of comedy about what the hell let's talk about this handy but I uh, I hadn't in fact I saw um Chapo this weekend they did a they did a live show and and I was relieved because it's like I always feel old with this stuff and Matt Crispin went on an explosive tear you know this is a guy who's like been born on the internet and lives on it and uh he had he had never heard a whiff of the existence of the try guys until this happened mm -hmm. so me too didn't make, yeah it didn't make me feel so old I think but, it was like yeah I feel like it was for teens, right? Was it like a teen show? Is that, I don't know. They try stuff, I don't right? Know. They try to eat a big sandwich or they try to jump out That's, of an airplane. So they're just four doing, of them. They're just doing YouTube. And tell on me, the yeah, they're on YouTube, but there's they've made on TikTok. Millions, they're a massive industry now. They made a shit ton of money. And am I incorrect? It seems like so one of them had a consensual affair with somebody they work with. Yes. Yeah. And they had to I mean, it was so shocking and horrifying 
and debilitating that that they had to get rid of him and they had to like make an announcement to the public. I, mean, I don't. Everyone, I don't. And I I'm don't like, know what something I'm fucking missing. Kate, you've heard of these guys. Like, what am I? What am I missing from this story? Because it's like uh, this isn't that guy from the Lincoln Project who was like diddling kids. This is it's a podcaster. Well, and he had. Are, are we? Is that where we are? First at, of all, the first of all, I don't pod- date. Podcasters have no morality to begin with. Right. We're amoral monsters. But this is not the scandal that's being made out is like, right? It's almost like the way Clinton handled Monica Lewinsky. Like, you're like, what is going on right now? But like, but I got to ask, because only one of the three people on this thing is involved in, I would say, am I, am I correct, Kate, unless something's happened since the last time we spoke? You, you are single and you date. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, and I'm always single. I sometimes date. Not, I'm not that single. much. You've um, not been single at times. No, yeah, I've had a lot of long relationships, but... Um, I think, you know, this, this try guys thing. So first of all, like the affair was with a coworker and I don't think anyone disputes that it was consensual. I'm not really sure what the like power differential was in that situation. Like I know, okay. Like with Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, for example, I would say, yeah, that was, obviously yes. not appropriate you know mm. of him right? yes so i don't know what the degree was in this situation i don't think having a relationship with a coworker is always bad so i'm not sure about the specifics here before people right get mad at me but i will say that i do think that this is part of like a i don't know people seem to be really upset about infidelity and i do think cheating sucks and i've been cheated on and it i think you know you're a a jerk if you're cheating on somebody especially while you're building a brand as a wife guy but that said like it definitely seems like this whole like anti-cheater thing is part of a kind of broader sexual puritanism backlash which i realize makes me sound like bill maher or something but (laughs) i'm just like yeah (laughs) yeah that is sooner or later where all of us end up though the thing about cheating is, is like I think over half of people end up cheating at some point, and you don't know what's going on in that relationship. And there's a million things that could be happening, and it's really none of your fucking business. And the way people react to it is very puritanical. Yeah. And and I know people who have cheated on their spouses, and they worked it out, and there was a reason it happened. And and you know, okay, I, I am. It, is that what this guy was? Was he married? This guy. He was married, yeah, and also guy. his brand okay. was very connected to like his wife and like their happy oh. marriage and stuff. So there was an element of hypocrisy in it that was but, a little annoying. But the show Dude. is named Try Guys, so he had to try yeah. an affair. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, no, it was an episode. It was okay. I, mean, I would, I would be upset if my co-host was cheating and I guess I would be, I would be like with your uh, wife with my wife. No, but if I, if I was just working with a guy on a show and, and we had an employee and he was, you know, messing around, I'd be like, uh, okay, well this is weird because I know your wife pretty well. And it's definitely, I get that. Yeah. I get that completely. Well, I think, wasn't she a producer on the show or something? I mean, obviously she's not like on screen talent or whatever, but I don't don't think. I think she was a producer. I think that's right. Yeah. So, and I don't know like who, like uh, to me, the most sort of compelling 
argument for like cancellation here would be if like he was in a position where he was, yeah, she was effectively her boss or something. But I don't know about right. that. So I'm just talking about it in a general sense because I'm genuinely not sure with the situation. Yeah. Um, you know, I think like cheating is a thing that I think you can say like it's mostly wrong but like i've cheated on someone i'll tell you the situation that i cheated like i was like straight up ghosted by someone i was dating for like a month and i was like okay i guess this is over and then they came back and i had slept with someone and it was like what the fuck you cheater that's not cheating and I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, you know, but I was like, I don't know if we were still in a relationship or whatever, you know, and, you know, I mean, like, but that's probably not the only time, like, I'm sure in, in college, I think I was dating somebody and like, you know, got drunk and whatever. It's not good, but it is like a thing that a lot of people do, do or not, have yeah, done at some point. If you're in college, not, yeah. not, oh, God damn it. Yeah. I definitely yeah. even that, that brings up interesting. If you bring two things together, one of which makes me crazy. Have we talked about this? The Hollywood no, which is where we are in our business, yeah. I think a lot of other places, where nobody ever tells you no anymore. They just don't reply. Yeah. Right. So like you pitch a project or something, and at a certain point, you're supposed to understand they're passing. But there is that weird gray area, which this is what makes me crazy. Aside for the fact that it's obnoxious, just not to, you should call someone and tell them it's a no. There is that period where you're like, are we committed to a thing? Are we? I don't know. I don't know. And you sit there and you have to wait. But I wonder, like, what the like. I went to that recently on my other show. I, I thought we were uh, a friend had reached out to a guest I wanted to get, creator of a great TV show. I sent him this email, and uh, uh, she had said he was interested, and then just dead silence. And I'm like, okay, yeah. he's saying no, I'm not going to be that guy. And then somehow we reconnected a couple months later, and I sent him a thing. He's like, oh, I never saw your email. Ah, lovely guy. None of this is his fault. It's the fault of the fucking Hollywood. No, because it were not for that. I just sent him another email. Go, hey, I don't know if you saw Did my you see this. Yeah. Yeah. He I came mean, on the show. He was fantastic. And, think, and, but here's the question. When, when do you, when exactly does that no kick in? Like if I send my wife a text and I go, um, it's great being married to you. And she doesn't reply to me for 20 minutes. Can I assume that we're Divorce. done and go have an affair now? Yes. Okay. That's 20, what I was 20 minutes is the, that's the, yeah, that's the line. I love the fact because Kate is a strong, assertive woman from a sort of different generation. I love listening to her talk. I love checking out her comedy, figuring out how these people are like navigating these insane waters. But the fact that you're sitting here going, you were ghosted bun by a guy. It was actually that, a like, woman. I was ghosted a woman, by a woman. Sorry. Went yeah, by and, anyone. And, and we went on to, like, to somebody to else together. when you've been ghosted constitutes cheating. I'm like, yeah. no, you did not cheat. We were like five. We were together for like five years after that. Oh, and you want to hear the really fucked up part of it? After that, but not before that. We got back together. No, we had been together for like two years, and then we were together for like another five years. Ghosted you after two years? Yeah, I mean, we had a contentious relationship. We were both little twenty-year-old idiots or whatever. But the funniest thing was, is she had also cheated on me during that time, and it didn't come out until like a year later (laughs) that she had also slept with someone. Oh my god! So I am in this. I do think the one thing that's different about my generation versus yours is there's a lot more people who are just kind of skeptical in in about monogamy in general, and there's a lot. Wow, we were all pretty. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I mean, That's so yeah. it is theoretically, I think, very possible if you're like a person who doesn't want monogamy to 
just find other people who do not want monogamy and be honest if you don't think that you can or you don't or even you just don't have the desire to be you know sexually exclusive with someone for the rest of your life or until they die or whatever yeah. you know then that's that's fine so i think you know that kind of colors the discussion a little bit because it's like well you know, if, if that option is available and you don't want to be monogamous, it's not like you have to get someone else on board with like being monogamous with you. But then on the other hand, I, okay, I had this boyfriend for a while and we were in a monogamous relationship, his idea. And he like came out to me in the relationship as like polyamorous. And I was like, I don't think yeah, I don't want to be in a polyamorous relationship. And he started being like, you know, that's a form of like discrimination. Like I am biologically wired to date yes. multiple women. Yes. And I My really, man. the My thing man. is, is like, I was so like woke and well-intentioned that I like, I'm like apologizing at that point. I'm like, I'm so sorry for discriminating. You're, you're like you. one hair away <laughs> from being like anti-queer. If you oppose polyamory, if you well, that's what he said. let your boyfriend have sex with whoever he wants, you're basically anti-queer. No, he compared it to homophobia and transphobia Even if all he wants to do is have sex with women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, I was really feeling bad and I was like very confused. I ran oh, by like God. a lot of poly people and they're like, no, you, like, it's fine if people are polyamorous, but you don't have to be polyamorous. Like that's your right. decision for yourself. And I was like, oh, okay. But I do think that there is like also this thing that's happening right now, which is like, we have like the old school cheating. And then we have like the kind of new variation of it where somebody is in a monogamous relationship that they just really, really, really pressure their partner into opening. Yeah. And that's kind of uh, like... Been I going feel like that's a thing that's been going on for oh, a while. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, our, that's our time. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, yeah. that predates us. That's our okay. grandparents. It's happened... So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how how often it happens my grandfather uh, i can tell you of everybody i know who did it it never worked yeah no. usually what happens is like you know i don't want to be stereotyped too much but usually in this in straight couples what happens is it's the man that pressures to open the relationship yes. and the woman gets laid way more and then he loses his fucking mind and <laughs> it's like i don't want to have an open yes. relationship anymore and then she is like, no, actually, like, I'm getting laid a lot. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, this has I know, nothing I know, to like, do. Oh, I know like three couples that have done it. And each one, the guy pressured her. She did it. And then she was like, wow, this guy's much better. And just bailed. Sure. Yeah. You I know? mean, it's a weird thing because it's like, the, I, I don't know. It's the, I think a lot of these discussions require like some you know, nuance. Cause it's like with cheating, for example, okay. You know, I'm not going to say who it was, but I'll give you an example. Like I knew someone for a really long time was married to somebody who had no interest in physical intimacy anymore, but they also had a medical situation with a kid that they were not able to leave, you know, and they cheated and it's like, okay, you know, it's, there's probably maybe there's better ways of handling it maybe there's not but like I'm not in a position to judge someone in that situation you know but then there also are like a lot of people that you know especially I think straight guys that really just have this super old school idea that they should be able to get laid as much as they want but their partner who's a woman should not have that same freedom and that's yeah. very just kind of classic you know pre like <laughs> 
pre-modern caveman misogyny. You know, it's just the same thing. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Been. What's misogynistic about that? I'm, I'm, anyway. <laughs> There's not the show. Theoretically, we're a political show. Um, somewhere down the line, I can't do it on the movie show. Dave has seen it, Katie has seen it. I should just give a shout out. If you've never heard of this film, it sort of ties into this. There's an amazing documentary called Sex Magic. Oh, God, I have um, seen it. It's amazing. Manifesting my, I know, I said it to you. Uh, that sort of goes into all of this. It's about a, um, uh, a tantric guru in Sedona who's deeply into polyamory and whose girlfriend at the beginning of the film, his, his lover, sorry. Lover. Uh, his paramour. Uh, is, is clearly not comfortable with it. And it's one of those documentaries where it would have been a fine film just on its own, but shit starts to happen. And you can tell the documentary makers are like, oh my God, we were here like when the gold started coming. And it is it is worth seeking out. It is worth watching. And it, it goes to the heart of all this stuff. And it's really, it's it's dark. There's some hard scenes, but it's also hilarious. I think like with that documentary, like when I just had, I was trying to imagine because we both seen it, you told me about it. And I was trying to imagine what your experience of like watching that is because you're probably like this is so weird and crazy i've never seen anything like this and i'm like five of my boyfriends have literally been this guy you know oh this God, is Dave, the she thinks we're like seeing some ward cleaver no that's not what <laughs> i mean at all but i just mean like you don't seem like you've dated like the fucking sleazy hippie guy who is like i have not dated the sleazy hippie guy but yeah. i've grown up around the sleazy hippie <laughs> okay guy, okay <laughs> Yeah. In fact, I know a guy who's in that film. It's even, it's not even, oh my God. But uh, yeah, check it out. It's, it's fantastic. I was um, dating this guy for a while when I lived in San Francisco and I lived in a co-op called The Convent. Mm -hmm. It's still there. It was like an artist collective. And oh, yes. there was only, when I first moved in, it was like a mix of like men, women, queer people. But it eventually got to the point where in a house of 23 people, every all everyone moved out who wasn't like a straight guy like it was like 20 men and three women left because it was so dirty uh, and i was dating this dude who lived dirty, there. you mean like literally dirty like just dishes it was like dirty it was like literally dirty my it was disgusting up. and i paid like 1200 a month to live there because i was san francisco so it's fucking ridiculous and so the guy that i was dating ended up just starting dating someone else who lived in the house. Oh my one God. One of the other women. And I was like, yeah, we weren't in a monogamous relationship or anything, but it was like, okay, well, you know, there's only three women who lived here. Like, this is like really awkward. Can you not go outside? <laughs> and he was like, I should not be expected to go outside today. <laughs> and that was the guy that most reminded me of this, like, Sedona dude. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. Wow. You know, I, I was going to open with Biden and marijuana, but I, this has been so much better. <laughs> this is, well, this is why I don't date, because I've just, I have, like, repeatedly, and maybe I'll, I'm like, I feel like I'm in the process of changing now. I've just repeatedly been sabotaged so much by my own, like, wokeness and open-mindedness of, like, oh, yeah, maybe it is really selfish to tell someone that they have to go outside to find another partner. You know, like maybe it is discrimination if I ask my boyfriend not to cheat on me, you know, and I'm just like in the moment, it all makes so much sense. And I don't want to get into that again. Yeah. But another documentary that keeps coming to mind is an older one called The Lifestyle. And if you've ever seen it, it's about uh, Orange County swingers, which this movie's so old. I remember writing with a bunch of friends because they're like, yeah, it'll be like hot naked chicks. And 
I am not joking. Everybody in the movie, it's an amazing doc. It's, it's, it's fun and funny. And they are literally orange County swingers. Every couple in the movie looks like Barbara Bush and Dick Cheney. I know a lot of people who I've met a lot of people in my life who swing. And here's the thing about that one is swingers for the most part, not everyone, but it is very, it's a very conservative movement. Yes. Like yes. there's just there's a no, lot of, it? yeah, there's a lot yeah, of Republicans. Like I think yeah. like polyamory where you can like date, you know, multiple people and like fall in love is tends to attract, I think mostly a kind of liberal leftist variety of person, but swingers. Oh, that's interesting. Cause yeah, very, everything you're saying jibes with my experience and I hadn't really thought it out, but yeah, I wonder if that's. Swingers are like super heteronormative a lot of the time, yeah. like very like sort of, almost like sanctity of marriage kind of stuff. And sure. you know, it's, I, I, I don't know. I performed at the swinger party once, like stand-up stand -up comedy. I did stand-up comedy. <laughs> okay, that's party. it. Let's be clear. Yeah, and it was so, uh, like, sure it was just, it was just the most kind of, like, aggressively heterosexual environment I've ever been to since, like, a frat party in college. It's just weird. It's a weird, weird vibe. Wild. But, yeah, I don't know. And I've never... Was the party going on while you were doing it, or were they sort of waiting till you left to... So there was, like, a bunch of rooms. There were, like, sex rooms, and then there was, like, a, you know, music, comedy, sketches kind of entertainment type room, and that's where I was. But I'm never going back there yeah. because... Yeah. It's not safe to be like a a bisexual woman single? in those spaces. Oh. A sing, single bisexual yeah. woman is like the worst possible thing that you could possibly be in like oh god yes a heteronormative yeah. kind of non-monogamy <laughs> space. And I'm trying I'm, be, I'm trying to be careful because I do think that like I don't want to be part of the like conservative like non-monogamy is bad. See, there trend. it is. There's that that wokeness. That yeah, no, but it is true. The wokeness that yep. has just gotten me in trouble again and again. But man, it's like so fucking gross when these couples are just like, yeah, we need to get a girlfriend together, and that's frowned on in 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 those communities as well. It's considered yep. like bad behavior. But I'm just like, oh my god, I'm a person, not. <laughs> not a sex toy that's a human being, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I guess the important question, though, watch, Dave, I'm about to make the clunkiest segue in the history in my of my entire podcasting career. Uh, would you say, Kate, that you own your own communication style? Uh, <laughs> I feel bad about my communication style every single day, so no, I would not say that. Really? So, <laughs> so you could use some tips? Yeah, I think... You know, for myself, I think George W. Bush has a thing going on that I don't, which is that he is extremely uh, careful and strategic about what he says, and I'm not at all. And I'm always like, why did I do that? <laughs> why did I make it ruin <laughs> mad today? <laughs> yeah. So let's take a quick break here, and then we'll be right back with Own Your Own Communication Style with George W. Bush. Hey there, it's David Sirota, host of Lever Time, the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet, The Lever. In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Lever Time is an unflinching examination of the latest news events and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. 
So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. Communication, what's that? Oh, you're communicating with me that you're going to talk about communication. All right, let's communicate. <laughs> okay, what what happened? This is the funny haha class. So he 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 cuz it doesn't make sense cuz he's talking to camera but then he's acting like someone said communicate to him when he's supposed to be introducing the topic. It's just weird. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I got something. I got something. Okay, roll. Here I go. That's it. That's what he did. He's being funny. He's being funny. Um, and that, that is kind of what this episode is all about is, is laughing. In fact, this is the episode where we get into Saturday Night Live and Lauren Michaels and all the rest of that. So, um, uh, but yeah, there's a lot in here about how important it is to be able to laugh at yourself. Laugh at yourself, yeah. But I think we're we're really getting into the area that gets more and more where it's like you can't even pretend this is a class in leadership anymore. You know, it's uh, it, maybe it's a class in how to be a president, but if you have to learn how to run a, you know, if you're a CEO of a new company, you know, laughing at yourself that's a life skill. It's not necessarily you're you're not going to be turning on the TV and watching Will Ferrell make fun of you every week and have to learn how to deal with that. You know what this kind of reminded me of. I just, George W. Bush, you know, he's like so rich and powerful and like him giving tips, like they apply to everyone. It kind of reminds me of like when one of my friends who's like a model will give me dating tips, you know, and I'll be like, yeah, man, it'd be super cool to go to Europe. And she'd be like, oh, just get some guy to take you. And I'm like, yeah, this advice does not apply to me. Like we're coming into this with a very different set of advantages. I I always think I was, I was good friends with the the late, the late Steve Bing is a wonderful, wonderful guy. And um, uh, we, we worked on the first time I ever worked with him on something. Um, I got to, it was the first time I ever got to be on a private jet. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, holy shit, I'm having this conversation. I was like, so this is yours? And he, he's like, oh, no, no, here's here's the thing you need to understand. And I have carried this with me forever. Uh, don't buy a private jet. You're much better off leasing one. And I yeah. just, for a bit, I was just like laughing. I thought that's it's actually very, because it's like, it's kind of, he knows I don't have a private, I can't afford one, but there's a certain <laughs> optimism in there in his mind that like, if you get to the point, when you get to that point, just keep in mind, you're much better off leasing a private jet than buying one. Advice to file away for the future. Yeah, and yeah. I've never forgotten it. I yeah. have never forgotten it. There's all kinds of advice people have given me that I could have used that would have been helpful. <laughs> I've completely <laughs> forgotten it. But I will never forget that. But, um, yeah, I agree. There's all this sort of stuff that, like, you're never going to need to use and is never going to apply to you. Um, so it really is. It's, this is where he starts giving away the fact that this is just Bush talking to a camera by himself trying to make you like him. Yeah. And I think you're right about, I think most CEOs actually don't at all laugh at themselves. Yeah. I think it's and then exact that. opposite. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But he goes into this, he talks about, he talks about all of his Bushisms, his malapropisms and everything. And it's, it's amusing, but um, then we get into something that is kind of interesting, I think. And it's a, it's a, a bane on our culture. And one of my favorite things to do is to, speak to the White House Correspondents' Dinner and make fun of myself. Thank you and good evening. I always look forward to these dinners where I'm supposed to be funny. <laughs> Intentionally. And generally got pretty good laughs. Um, 
So let me take advantage of the fact that both of you were uh, working stand-up comedians. Was that that was that was pretty great, right? Yeah, there was no was misdirection, really. I mean, it, it <laughs> intentionally was supposed to be a misdirection, but it, it, we saw it coming miles away. You know, no, no, yeah. no element of surprise there. But I mean, before, before we get into like what a blight on the culture um, the White House Correspondents' Dinner is, I, I think it's interesting he didn't go with this one, which is probably his most famous appearance there. Do you remember this? He was presenting. Uh, he came out. And he said, "I'm going to show you a White House family album," and it was various pictures, and he'd make jokes. And he showed himself, do you remember this? He showed a picture of himself looking under a chair in the Oval Office. You don't remember this? Mm-mm. Got huge laughs, huge laughs. This is in about, uh, I think, like 2004 or five. Uh, here we go. So picture George W. Bush looking under a chair in the White House. Those weapons of mass destruction got to be somewhere. Oh, 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 oh my god that's oh. so bad weapons of mass destruction god. gotta be somewhere that's so bad oh my god this, this is this is this is when you get back to this guy is so fucking evil at this point he has he has killed so many people and destroyed so many lives and and you know just make a joke about it yuck 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 yeah, I it's mean, fun. one of the people they cut to laughing is Joe Lieberman. But imagine it's all these reporters. Job, I don't know. It's been a long time. I mean, my brain is mush now, but I used to at least think the job of the people in that room is to what to dig up facts, sometimes uncomfortable ones about people like George W. Bush and report them to us. I they're all just yucking it up while he makes jokes about fucking WMDs that we all knew were not real. It reminded me of the one that he just did. In contrast, Russian elections are rigged. Political opponents are imprisoned or otherwise eliminated from participating in the electoral process. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> 75. Uh, he gets it, and it's like this thing that is seen as, like, charming and relatable that he can, you know, that he's in on the joke, but it's not. It's so ghoulish because, I mean, that's, that's like, not accountability, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, John Schwartz is a writer at The Intercept. <laughs> this he tweeted this a while ago, but it was uh, you know Putin could really troll um, everybody by just saying, "I will turn myself into the Hague if Bush and Cheney do first. <laughs> That'd be great. I thought he was say if he, I thought he was volunteering to show up at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yeah, that would be great. He could. That would be. Pretty incredible. And um, unfortunately, I do think that leftists would like it, which would legitimize the critique of leftists like Vladimir Putin. It would be just like, yeah. we like this one thing. We like this one yeah. thing. I mean, imagine if you hired a really great joke writer, too. That would be hilarious. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Putin but is not in on the joke about himself at no. all. Not at all. No. But but it's this remarkable just collusion. And, and to, to the extent that people actually watch it and are entertained, they don't realize like you're watching reporters sit down. You know, it's like those old cartoons where it's like the, 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 the dog and the, oh, oh my God, this, the rooster. What is it that, that where, you know, they check in and check out together 
and then they start chasing each other all day and then they sit down and they check out yeah yeah it's like this is it's wide open i mean we're all like it's yeah duh no shit but it's just astonishing it's been going on for so long and people are mostly okay with it and it's one of those things that even though he's an asshole and he did it in, a, in an assholic way, like Trump was completely correct to like give that a wide berth because he did not have a sense of humor about himself and he hated those people. And it's like, yeah, that's that's the healthier relationship, I would argue. That's a healthier way to perceive them. And if only they had perceived him the same way or perceived all of these people the same way, we might be in a better position. But they just openly collude. Yeah, I mean the the people don't realize that event is over a week long, and it's oh, that? Yeah. just politicians party. part partying with um, all the media outlets. All the oh, media God. outlets have a party. The Hill has a party. This one has a party. CNN has a party, and they all just fucking party together. Well, that's where like, the orgy was. What's that Kate played at? I think was. Yeah, the exactly. Right. The swingers orgy. Yeah. You guys, this swingers is weird orgy. because <laughs> I uh, yeah I wasn't sure if I was going to say it on this podcast, but I served as a unicorn for uh, George W. Bush and <laughs> Laura Bush. Honestly, they treated me very badly. It's not something I'm proud of, but I did get involved uh, in their marriage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the way, we love furries. Uh, that was not an inspiration for the furry community. They're wonderful. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, hey, speaking of collusion, look, I, and this is different too, and I think this may be a generational thing. A lot of people will be like, have no problem with this part, but it always bugged me because... I don't know. I grew up at a time when like comedians and artists were supposed to be in a directly adversarial position with their government. Um, it, it always bugged me that uh, as time went on, Saturday Night Live skits got softer and softer. Oh like, my except God, with yes. the Try Guys, you know, they really they, they <laughs> took a position <laughs> on that. Yeah. yeah, they did. But uh, here's here's a, this is a nice story from George about how funny he is and, and about what I'm talking about. One of my favorite stories about my uh, Magnificent use of malapropisms uh, was when Lauren and I had dinner with Lauren Michaels, who is the executive producer of Saturday Night Live. And he said, uh, you know, we put one of our best script writers on you, and he came up with... Strategery. Uh, strategery. I said, wait a minute, man. I said strategery. And he said, no, you never said strategery. I said, you got to be kidding me. For 17 years, I went through life thinking I had said strategery, and I never did. He said, no. I said, well, let me ask you this. Smart guy come up with a misunderestimate? Uh, I thought that was very funny. And I think Lauren might have as well. But the point is, is that if you can't poke fun at yourself, and if you can't realize others are going to poke fun at you, then maybe you shouldn't get in the public arena because that's just part of the process. Strategery. That... That last part is true. If you can't handle this, yeah, it's just the part where he's having dinner with Lord. But like, yeah, yeah, it's really weird, isn't it? It's yeah. usually people it, but who. It, yeah. It's 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 the George Carlin line. It's a big club, and we're not in it. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what you're talking about. Well, was that amazing thing? Remember when when Trump won in sixteen, and they they did that that teary sign off with Kate McKinnon doing Hallelujah as Hillary oh. Clinton, and they were all like, "This is so horrible." And you're like, "You had him on your show when he was running uh, yes. for president. You helped. And you build all yocked it up with him. <laughs> Do you not understand how just giving these people exposure is? <sighs> yeah, it's really crazy. I mean. You know, but but there's no memory in this country that we literally are goldfish. Oh, God, yeah. I know it's man, I'm not going to make this on a tangent, but it is just weird to see that, like, all of these things that we 
like that people have confronted in the past, like the need for a minimum wage or why tenement housing is not good and you need windows and stuff. Like it's weird to just see the extent to people which will just relitigate it every single time. Yeah, yeah. starting all over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's inferior, but but you know, talk about talk about memory hole. The fact that there is a George W. Bush masterclass in leadership. Masterclass um, <laughs> is. is you know, I, I can I can think of it. And I am looking forward to if we're still here in a few years to doing, you know, whatever master class Donald Trump teaches or yeah. Don Jr. I know. don't think that they'll re I don't think they're gonna do that with Trump, to be honest with you. I don't think so, because here's why. I think that there's an extreme yeah, please because yes, I I think I that there's an extreme benefit in having Trump be the outlier and in pretending right. that like stepping outside like like what's too far is being rude, you know? And right. like, I think that like Trump will continue to serve, I think for maybe decades to come as an example of like what, whenever there's like a, you know, a more normal fascist, you know, it's like, okay, but look, like it, he's, you know, he's working with everybody. He's not saying these, uh, you know, horrible things about women openly and but each one has been worse than the last you know in in, in many regards like how do you how do you top this guy how do you top that guy they're consistently and and they're consistently you know right now i mean my god barack obama listed ronald reagan as one of his great heroes like that's that's how far it went with reagan who was you know oh yeah arguably the worst president we ever had and just a you know did what he set in motion in this country, we are all just paying for. Uh, I, yeah, I completely agree. And I, I'm just saying that I think that like, you know, I mean, it's going to, we're going to have somebody who's more right wing than Trump, like soon, like either in 2024. It's like when, when the next president of the United States is walking around with a fucking swastika on his arm, Donald <laughs> Trump is going to have a master class and Don Jr. is going to have a show with Anderson Cooper. That's Dave dying. I've killed Dave. It's so you know true, it's coming. Though. Yeah. I mean, it, once the competent fascist comes, then Trump looks better. Yeah. But do you think that but the competent fascist yeah. is going to admit that they're a fascist? I feel like they won't. Like I feel like yes. they're going okay. I think we've I think we've crossed that line. I okay. think that they are now openly happy with being fascists. They they're they're starting to come to grips with it. You can watch them come to grips with it. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, when, you know, I mean, this is like 15, 20 years ago now, I remember, I can't remember who was it, some politician was greeting, you know, um, recited Oliver Stone's Greed is Good speech, unironically. You oh, know? God. Um, there's a, there's a, somebody where, right, you know, is right now working on a speech in which you present fascism as, um, you know, the realistic alternative to what we're yes. dealing with right now. I'll say it. I'll say the F word. Go ahead. Hate me if you want. I'm with the people over here. Yeah. Uh and and you know and the press will eat it up and let's by the way he's going to tell some truth here about the press that's um a little it's more than a little creepy a president or a leader must understand that there's a mutually beneficial relationship with the media to sound fancy it's a symbiotic relationship we both benefit from each other i make news and therefore they need me in order to print news and i need them in order to print what i think and what i'm doing it's like any other relationship. If you approach a relationship with suspicion and hostility, uh, the relationship will be strained and not 
constructive. I never went into a press conference with hostility toward the press. I mean, first of all, Bush famously disliked the press. So he's just kind of whitewashing that. But, yeah. you know, he's so cavalier. And again, it's that thing where, like, we just do it in broad daylight. His description of the relationship between government and the press is correct in that he's accurately describing it, but it's not what it ought to be. Yeah. It, it is the problem. The reason no one no one does hardball interviews is they need that connection to the White House or whatever. They need, you know, the wacko candidate to come back on their TV show because they need the ratings. Yeah. So it has become a symbiotic. Yeah, it's or, supposed to be a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Or or the other. I'm, I'm, I'm the clownfish and you're the anemone. Yeah. The other one. <laughs> Kate's, Kate's being weird. Oh, uh, you, she's, can you hear me? Maybe not. Yeah. Okay. I, I was going to say, or, you know, just like the other classic, like, uh, you know, Noam Chomsky points about the press where it's like they're choosing people to work at these institutions that sort of already don't think this stuff is that bad. Like they're not telling them right. like, Oh, Hey, you, you know, you have to, um, uh, you have to write this because Jeff Bezos wants you to, but like, they're not choosing anybody who to have those jobs that, that thinks like, for example, like, Hey, like, we should defund the military. That's not right. in the scope of like right. what. Yeah. No, they're not going to hire anyone who needs to be told. Not yeah, to write these things. Exactly. It's too much effort. Yeah, but um, he does do a little bit of whining though, as he keeps talking about the press. And here's the problem with imagery and leadership, particularly on TV. People get a 15 second glimpse of a person from which they. Uh, you know, make a conclusion about what the person's like. It's just the nature of public life. It was fun to defy expectations of people. But when you're the president, there's not much latitude in the media to defy expectations. Some of the best things to do would be to sit down interviews with people. The danger with that, however, was they had editorial powers. <laughs> they would put on what they wanted to put on and ask you two hours worth of questions and put 15 minutes of answers. I viewed the press as a necessary part of my job. I tended to view them as individuals working hard to do a job as opposed to kind of a collective mass of uncaring people. I mean, he thinks they should be his press secretary. <laughs> uncaring people. Yeah. He's complaining that they report what they want. They don't report what he wants. Meanies. Right. They're a bunch of meanies. I mean, he, yeah. he did have such a less antagonistic relationship with the press than Donald Trump did. That was really different, you know? And I think yeah. Trump's yeah. antagonistic relationship with the press was ultimately, like, His to our benefit, you yeah. know? because Bush just didn't like them. Yeah. But, but Trump, yeah. But, you know, it, it's interesting to hear him gripe about that because it's like, it, it's a huge power difference. He's got way more power than they do. Yeah. But, you know... <sighs> Speaking of sort of disproportion, man, I think we've even talked about it on this show, but I think of stuff like, you know, I remember, um, my God, going to, uh, there was that first big rally after Trump uh, got in at LAX um, for immigrants, and people were just welcoming immigrants here. It was a giant mm. protest against his Muslim ban. And the entirety of LAX was just shut down, people everywhere. And I went with a friend, and we were sort of walking through it. And when we got there, at the very beginning, we saw one tiny little island uh, at the end by international where there were 11 people, I believe counter protesting 
And when we got there, we came yeah. to the, that's where we first came out and there were TV cameras there. And we walked all the way around LAX, which if you've been there, takes a long time. Yeah, it's a long time. And when time. we got back to where we had started, those same fucking cameras were still on those same 11 counter protesters. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember getting into it. It was a local news guy and I went up and, and, and got it. It was like, these people disproportionately don't even exist. And he's yeah. like, well, we got to we got to give coverage to everybody. I'm like, no, you no, don't. You don't. <laughs> if you're doing a piece on the Rolling Stones concert at, at the LA sports <laughs> arena, you do not find the five people who were dragged by dates because they don't like the stones and talk to them as much as you talk to the, you know, you're just that they don't matter. And, and again, this whole, I remember he gave me his email address. He's like, yeah, let me know, you know, take a look at the thing. Cause I think you'll see we were pretty fair in our handlers. And I go, and of course you watch the, and you know, the punchline is you watch it and it's a six minute thing on the protest and three minutes is the protest and three minutes is the counter protest. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, back to that insane notion they have that every story has two equal and opposite sides, even when you can actually see with your eyes that it does not. That's one of the main advantages of like, you know, shutting down a, pr- a bridge or blocking traffic in a protest is that it, it has to be covered. You know, like there's no way that they can yeah. just be like, oh, this was like a couple people, right. you know, it's yeah. like actually demands yeah. that media attention. Yeah, no, exactly. But, um, but anyway, there is, there is, I think this episode though has the one thing, the first time I've seen anything in this that I thought like, I know some people who need to hear this. I'm, I'm not even remotely being funny. Um, this is so important. Uh, watching him say this, it's, um, it actually feels sincere. Like this actually comes from him, I think. And God damn it. Democrats need to fucking listen to this. If you listen to nothing else and you don't need to, cause there's no reason to take this class. I'm going to play the clip. The only thing that you need to hear if you want to get the politics, especially Democrats is this. Take this class. I'm a syllogistic speaker by that i mean i i believe in a a logical order of speaking uh i i believe that a speech should not have too many points to it and when you make a point you in essence say to the listener i'm going to tell you these three things and boom 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 he's completely fucking right there's this tiny minority of of political people of like pundits and everything else who love complexity they love it so yes. very much bill clinton would give i never listened to an entire bill clinton speech in my life and i am not a dummy his speeches went on and on he would dive into yes. foreign he loved going into policy and going into tiny details when hillary clinton ran she would not only do that she would then refer people to her website if you want more fucking details and then her fans would too they'd be like well if you looked at her website yeah. Yeah, it's like that's no way to be. Nobody likes that except for the hardcore fans. Yeah, you know, it's 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 like it's like when you're at the fucking Rush concert and they start the 37 minute drum solo. That's for Rush fans. That is not for everybody. When when they're like, I'm gonna play this this song off uh, the deep song off the album. Like nobody nobody wants to hear the deep song off the album. The fans, Uh, the hardcore fans do. Just the hardcore fans. Nobody else wants to hear it. Nobody, yeah. but they love, that's wonky. They love wonky, but those are yep. political. I mean, essentially political fans. They love politics and policy. It's no, not most people. It's just not, nobody wants to fucking hear it. Yeah. yeah. And they, they would sit there and they don't like the Clinton would just babble on babble on. They go, go to my website and Trump would come out and go, Hey, make America great again. And they'd be yeah. like, how oh, that fucking idiot. No one cares about that. You're like, no, they actually, <laughs> yeah. they're hearing him. They're falling asleep to you. And, and, and it, Jesus, that matters. It's also like an extremely 
liberals are so bad at this. Like liberals love the like super wonky technocratic shit and both conservatives and leftists are really excellent at distilling things down to an easily digestible talking point. Like yeah. just to give something like healthcare, you know, Bernie's like, we should give healthcare to everyone. The government should do it. Okay, really easy right. to understand. And then if you don't do that, then the conservatives are gonna come out with their shit. Like the reason that you don't have healthcare is because of illegal immigrants, which is a horrible asinine right. thing to say, but still is more appealing to a lot of people than like this whole yeah. like here's my 80 page plan about subsidizing you know means tested whatever man yeah and that's and that's the thing too because it's you know yeah it's more complicated than that i get it i have this conversation with my dad all the time he's like well i'm for you know medicare for all but it's you know it's it's complicated but like, yeah it is complicated and if you're running for president and you're telling me you're for that I'm going, great, this is a guy who's going to like work towards that. But if your response is, well, we can do this program that does this, and you start going, all I'm hearing is you're lying to me. Yeah. You're trying to explain up front now why this is never going to fucking happen. Right. And even if you're sincere, and even if you think by laying out detail step by step by step by step, how are you going to do it? And that's what we, no, you're telling people that you can't be trusted. It's, it's, I, I get that that might be counterintuitive to some people, but it's not. If you're like going into that much detail, you're shady. Yeah. It's always, that's just, that's just, that's like a, a sniff test for like a horrible neoliberal policy as if it just can't be explained yes. quickly. Like, you know, you can do like with the Rush solo, you can do a thing where you, you know, go on like a longer podcast or do like a sit down interview where maybe you go into sure. the details of how Medicare for all will actually be paid for 2% tax, but you're saving money in this way. And, you know, that's interesting to some people and it's necessary, you know, for some people to get on board with the policies. I'm not saying don't, don't do it, but I mean, like this idea that like nobody can understand what's happening here unless they're so educated and smart and, uh, you know, a self-identified hobby policy wonk. Regular people, yeah. like as in anybody who's not that 7% of people just hates that shit so much. They do. And then they'll leap at something, which is why it's so dangerous. Cause on the one hand, as you say, on the left, they're really good at it and it's great. I mean, so you know, populism on the left is, is, is one thing and it's effective. Um, but that shit is going to drive people to something, you know, and if they're not as ideologically secure, their response to that is, is going to be simply based on the fact that what you're saying makes sense to them and is clear without any regard. So like you, you listen to one of these idiots talk for 45 minutes about some plan and then you go off and you see another guy who's like, oh, it's the Jews fault. And they're like, oh, that's such a relief. Yeah. I'm with that guy. Yeah. You know, that's the danger. They just, they, they drive people away from them. Yeah. And it's also like explain Obamacare to someone. Yeah. Just try to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even I sure. I pay a lot of attention to politics and I'm not even sure how it's, working anymore i know that there's some subsidies i know that i don't oh, qualify it's a, it's for any a, of them it's an epic disaster yeah. like it is I, I like my health insurance is like i feel like i'm in i'm in bed with the mafia like it's 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 if the mafia ran healthcare this is what it would be like yeah yeah it's awful and people just man you know people just love to I think like one of the things that is kind of horrible about this kind of like hobbyist, like political 
culture where everybody like pays attention to things it's like you know you can just pretend that anybody who doesn't agree with you like they just don't understand they don't get it and it's like the idea that like healthcare, for example should be free and universal that is not like a position that you arrive at after looking at 5,000 charts and graphs that's like no you shouldn't have to lose your home because you get cancer. It's a moral idea, you know? And I think that these people who are just very contemptuous of low-income people, they get to hide behind, you know, all of this, like, here's the data and the expert, you know? It's awful. Let's, let's get into chapter nine, a pathway to politics in which uh, now we really just have nothing to do with leadership at all. He's just rambling and telling stories about his life. <laughs> <laughs> pathway to politics that's good because with i was gonna say with this recession coming i'm gonna need some kind of job so let's hear it yeah <laughs> and my dad found out i got in and he, we were having dinner he said you know are you gonna go to harvard business school i said i don't know he said you ought to think about it because it'll open new horizons for you and that's what convinced me i should go and it did you know it gave me uh, a toolbox I learned a lot about, you know, investment and finance and stuff, but my heart really wasn't there. My heart was in uh, being an entrepreneur. And in short, the Harvard Business School gave me the confidence to take risk. Um, no, it did not give him a toolbox. It gave him connections. Yeah, he's he's just, how many connections did he need? He was. I mean, he's been a, he's been a total like. Like he's just been a, a, a combination between just like a succubus and a and a failure up to this point, right? I mean, a much, succubus. Yeah. I love it. That's so funny. Like I mean, that's. Uh, yeah. And now he's like now he's telling us how he went to Harvard. He, he went to Harvard, Harvard Business School because he he didn't know what else to do. Look good on the resume. He wanted to hang out in college a little bit longer, and he got he had a free pass because his daddy went there. Like it's yeah. just all so. I mean, like, you, what what risks did he take? You know, you also had that fallback. You could always go back, you know, go to some business that his friends, his father's friends would, you know, finance for him. Yeah, or bail him out when he got into debt. Yeah. So yeah. then he talks about how he decided to get into politics. I was deeply concerned about education in Texas, uh, and I felt it was failing. And I'll never forget, uh, Governor Richards was asked, I've tried something, now will somebody show me what to do when it came to education? And I turned to Laura and said, I'm going to show her what to do. And she said, you're out of your mind. I said, no, I'm going to run for governor, I think. I was pretty well known when I ran for governor. I spent a lot of time selling tickets for the Texas Rangers. I went out of my way to sign autographs and uh, thank the fans for coming. I, I sat with the fans, not in a, not in a box. And uh, so I'm pretty well known as a baseball guy in parts of the state. Uh, and so when I made the announcement, people were interested. And so I got together with uh, some friends who weren't sure I could win, but nevertheless were willing to work to develop an agenda and start selling it. And I know it, it seemed impossible to a lot of people. After all, uh, when I told mother, I said, Mom, I'm running for governor. She said, you will not win. You know, my attitude was <laughs> you may be right. But because you said that, I'm going to work even harder. Apparently, this is this is true. Apparently, she said that every time he ran for it. <laughs> That's yeah, she's, so funny. She's what is the most important these? I just imagine him sitting there watching the governor on TV. He's, you know, going through. He's like forty-eight beers into it, and 
She's like, yeah, show me. And he's like, I'm going to show her. I'm going to show her. But that's not what happened. I mean, no, it's not even remotely what happened. The story we already knew that that he obviously they were grooming him to to be governor. They were, you know, building up his businesses, trying to make it like he was a businessman, getting him out there in front of people like this is all a giant grooming well, process over he'd years. also gotten in earlier he's claiming like this is how he's to get into politics he, he ran to take the seat of a retiring democratic congressman he lost right. and then he went back to arbusto oil getting paid to be you know george bush's son and um yeah so even this story is bullshit yeah it's all nonsense so so then he runs oh and i also love the part i got together with some friends <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> no this podcast is what happens when you get together with some friends you get together yeah. with like some absolute fucking monsters with more money than god who just wanted to keep keep the world on its spiraling destructive path god damn wow. it so then he runs and wins the election as governor uh here here's his version it was the beginning of a joyous journey as governor of texas but i did view myself as a uniter and not a divider i think as governor, I was pretty successful doing that in Texas because I had partners, lieutenant governor, speaker, who were willing to work together to unite rather than divide. In my case, uh, there was a Democrat House and a Democrat Senate, and if I wanted to get anything done, like I told the people of Texas I was going to do, I had to work with them. But more importantly, I wanted to work with them. Yes, that's not true. Um, <laughs> uh, the job of, of governor, that. I didn't know this before, but the job of governor in Texas is really light. It's like, I don't know if there's a yes. term. Like here in L.A., we have what's called the weak mayor system, which means city yeah. council is much more powerful. And they sort of have that with the governor in Texas. Did not know that. But he's almost no real power. And everything back then was done by the lieutenant governor and the House Speaker, both of whom were Democrats. And Bush came in and he basically worked with them to get laws passed that they were already working on that were already sort of destined to pass. And he would just sort of come in and go, I'm, I'm the governor here. And he'd feel him up and he'd fondle him. And then he'd go, hey, I made that happen. Seems so, like Greg Abbott has a lot of power, but uh, I guess not. There's I, You know, and maybe it's something where you can take power if you so desire. But that was not yeah. um, that was not the Bush thing. Uh, I do love he says one thing in here that I really love. Can you do the same things today? Uh, I hope so, but it seems harder and harder because of the polarization of our society. This guy uh, who stole was, two presidential elections, yeah, I believe, right? labeled his opponent, who was a war hero, a traitor while he was. I mean, he good he, God. I mean, this is this is the guy whose uh, whose campaign manager created those uh, John McCain has a black baby uh, phone calls. <laughs> oh, like, my God. This, is, this guy is like the heart of. The Bush family is like the heart of darkness, of divisiveness. Like they are uh, from beginning, from the beginning of his dad all the way through. And his grandfather. Carl Rove ran his campaign. And we will be getting yeah. to Carl Rove in our, in our next series. But my God, yeah, for George W. Bush, I'm not the comedian. You guys got to come up with something. But for him to complain about polarization in America. Insane. I don't know what that's like. I mean, I that's, mean that's Charles Manson the guy, complaining about how the, the the dwindling number of blonde actresses in Hollywood or something, you know, it's, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's always just always kind of fundamentally right wing because there is no strong left. So if you're complaining about polarization, it's like a call to compromise between the hard right and the center right. You yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. It's, oh, God damn it. Um, 
This is amazing. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how we're finishing this. Um, yeah. Hey, George Bush. Have you ever heard of the polarization between uh, workers and capital? Something uh -oh. to think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the last section we're going to talk about today is very little in it, even less than any of this stuff. It's called entering public service, which again, now our leadership, I guess leadership, like if you want to learn how to do politics, I guess you're watching this. Am I right? I guess. <sighs> He talks about getting into politics again. I, I, I liked this one, too. It sort of goes hand in hand with the polarization one. Politics tends to be a meritocracy. And by that, I mean that if you want to be involved in a campaign, the best thing you can do is to become somebody who makes signs and puts them up and do the best at that so that when another task is needed, you get called upon. In other words, hard work in the trenches pays off in the long term for politics. Really, George W. Bush, the best thing you can do if you want to get into politics is make signs on a campaign. Yeah, it's it's a lot to say that with his last name. Yeah, I know, right? Like, you, what about yeah. just being rich and yeah. powerful? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then well, and then it gets into this. It just it just keeps getting better. The lifeblood of any campaign is the capacity to raise money. One of the hardest things to do is to uh, call somebody up and say, "I'd like money from you, please." Uh, I got pretty good at it. Uh, you know, it takes a while to get used to that. The only way you can raise money is get yourself in front of people and say, I need your help. I'd like for you to donate. And when they do, write them a thank you letter quickly saying, I can't thank you enough for your donation. Fundraising is difficult for some, but it's necessary because no matter how brilliant you are or no matter how thoughtful you are, unless people are able to determine that through ads and all that, then you'll be just another name, an obscure name. An obscure name. His name was literally George Bush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I don't believe that he was ever felt weird about calling guys for money. Not no, with that dad. It. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of them called him because they fucking had to. Yeah. You, you know, his dad was like head of the CIA, vice president of the United States. I mean, it's like George W. Bush does not have to go hat in hand to these people. They're coming hat yeah. in hand. Like, how much do you want? I, I mean, it just really... reminded me of like, there was, I remember seeing Tori Spelling. Oh, it's not a bag on her. I don't mean to bag on her, but come on. I'm seeing her a thousand years ago on some talk show talking about how she ended up on 90210 and she claimed that uh, being uh, yeah. Spelling had nothing to do with uh, her getting the job. And in fact, when she went in to audition, uh, she changed her name. Yeah. And I remember thinking, what, to Bambi Spelling? I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> please. Just it's not like they didn't it. know. Just own it. Just own it. Yeah, exactly. They didn't know. It's like, oh, shit, Tori's coming in. She's telling us her name's Bob Russell. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, the thing is, this, this is obvious. Like, you know, no new stuff. This is obvious. But yeah. there is something notable about that he has the audacity to say it in this yeah. format. You know, that like... It, nepotism is not big news to anyone, but yeah. that he's here claiming that, you know, this is like, you know, sort of his like hard scrabble rise, you know, mm. through the ranks. <laughs> he went to the open mics of politics. That is but, pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and if he, if he said all this stuff and he said, by the way, I understand it was different for me, but I've been around politics long enough to know that this is actually how it works. And this is what you're going to need to do unless yeah. your name is George W. Bush. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that would be it. respectable, yeah. Own it, because you know what? You have lived in this system for a long time. You have seen it from perspectives none of us have. And if you just tell us who the fuck you are and then talk about that honestly, I'm going to buy what you're selling a little bit more. 
Yeah. But yeah, totally. you're going to be in obscure well, name that no one knows if you don't he, do these things. He can't, though, because his whole persona was the aw shucks common guy. Regular guy. Yeah, you know, but he also so, at times he talks. Remember some of the other classes he talks about like he was proud of his dad and you know blah blah blah. And yeah, yeah. He, he even makes a joke at one point about how he inherited half of his father's friends and all of his enemies, which is a, it's a good fucking line. But this is just weird. Um, here this is this is pretty glorious too. The wonderful thing about politics is it tends to expose the hypocrite for all to see, and generally there's uh, you know defeat at the end of that hypocrisy. The first may be true. I'm not entirely sure the second is. Yeah. And truly, nobody in politics cares about hypocrisy. Nobody. No. I mean, look well, at what no. Dem Democrats do. Yeah, they do. But but I mean, but nobody votes on it. Nobody actually right. cares. Right. Not really, though, because it's like, I mean, you saw like Nancy Pelosi was out there like, you know, uh, what, what do they call it when a politician is supporting another politician? Like she was at okay. rallies for an anti-abortion. Yeah, time. when she was campaigning in Texas for Henry Cuellar, who yeah. was anti-choice, uh, yeah, and being investigated by the FBI for corruption, <laughs> and she was campaigning for him against a progressive woman of color who was uh, pro-choice and was not heavily yeah. being investigated by the FBI, <laughs> while they're yeah. running around telling us blue no matter who and anybody who goes against other. I mean, it was just. Yeah, no, you're right. It's like no, but that, that's my point is nobody actually cares about hypocrisy. They, they, it's just teams. It's Democrats just teams. care yeah. about the hypocrisy of Republicans and so far that they'll try to call it out. They don't understand that doesn't do anything. And then yeah. they turn around and, yeah, turn a blind eye to that stuff uh, as well. We, we've talked about this before. You know, if Donald Trump's eyeball had exploded blood during a, a debate, um, you know, the Democrats would have been all over that. But there's still time. Yeah, there's still time. And then finally, he sort of talks a little bit about uh, be sure to have the right perspective and humility and, and all the rest of this. And it's another one. This is sort of like the White House press correspondence thing and his comments about his relationship with press. It's more chilling than I think he knows, at least to me. When the tsunami hit in East Asia, uh, I asked my dad and Bill Clinton, the man who had defeated him in 1992 for the presidency, to come together and raise money. And they did. And that was the beginning of an unusual friendship. And so you have to ask, what are the lessons in their friendship? I think lesson number one is that Bill Clinton approached the relationship with humility. It wasn't that I whiffed you, you know, or I'm better than you are. Uh, it was that I admire you and that uh, I'm going to treat you with respect, which he did and thereby earned my admiration a lot. My dad's perspective was, my life is not defined by defeat, therefore I don't hold it against the person that beat me. And I wanna to get to know the person that beat me better. And they established a genuine friendship. Lesson number three, class solidarity trumps everything. That's right, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just so crazy. Like, H.W. Bush, has has done some of the most horrific things in history, including which everyone is upset about with Trump, including pardoning all of the men that could have put him in jail for Iran-Contra right before he got out of office. Oh, my He's God. Everything that these people should like. And you actually, if you're Bill Clinton, you shouldn't want to be friends with him if you actually believe in like, I'm a Democrat. I'm, 
that's a bad guy supposedly that's a that's yeah. a really bad guy yeah. there's no reason to befriend him none at all yeah yeah i'm not going to be friends with joe rogan <laughs> joe rogan what if you became best friends with joe rogan <laughs> that would be really funny yeah, but it's just it's it's and, and again it's one of those things we're just inured to. We're fine with it. On the one hand, we will believe down to our toes that this is the most vital election of our lifetime. That that every person, time that person yeah. presents, uh, you know, an existential threat to our existence. Which I don't know about you, that makes that person really fucking bad. Yeah, if Dave <laughs> Anthony was an existential threat to the existence of fuck the world, just me and my family. I wouldn't be like, well, I'll do a podcast with him. I just don't have to hang out with him. Existential threat, Dave Anthony. I am. Yeah, and you spend years like this motherfucker is a He's going to kill us all. He doesn't care. He has no soul. He's a monster. Uh, Oh, hey, five o'clock. Let me see what Dave and Heather are up to tonight. You know, it's like. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fucking insane. Yeah, I mean, Democrats even like insert party don't don't care. Remember when Kamala Harris called Joe Biden a segregationist and then like. Yeah, Two days later, was it. like, ha ha, it's so fine. Yeah. It's fine. We're colleagues. Yeah. And you know what? A little of that, honestly, a lot of that is a necessity because you have to work with these people. But but we've gone so far over the line of Russia because I'm sorry. It's like, yeah, it's like if she'd called him out for having shitty tax policies for having fucked up. That's one thing. But especially if you're a black woman calling about for being, you know, for loving segregationists and all the rest of that, that, that's, that's personal. And people respond to that. The people who bought it responded to it personally. And then to see her like yucking it up with him and going, yeah, sure. I'll go work for him. It's like, yeah. And especially because she was right. He is. She's a hundred percent right. Yeah. How do you go from being such a passionate opponent on such bedrock principles for you and, and now you guys seem to be pals. It was a debate. (laughs) (laughs) So the lesson this week is nobody believes anything and nothing matters. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole point, right? If you, if you forgive all those people and don't care, then you actually undermine your whole, this next guy is the worst guy thing. It just, yep. none of it makes sense. I mean, Democrats believe it, but everyone else is like, well, he said this 20 times already about everybody. Yeah, it's hard. Well, what I took away from all this is that if I hang some posters, it is a quick ride for me to become the president of the United States. Pretty much. I think that's, that's right. about the best lesson. If you get good at hanging posters, don't just hang them, but be the best yeah, be good poster hanger. They'll be straight. Yep. Level. Buy one of them level yep. things where you put it yeah. on check. Yeah. I, I will I'll do two staples, one at the top, one at the bottom, not just one. Yep. Yep. That's it. Don't blow away in the it. wind. Um change your life. We have. And we and we have a couple more lessons to go. Although I feel like our next episode is gonna be five minutes long because these next two episodes are ridiculous. <laughs> um although I, I, should we should we give a hint of what's coming or should we not? Because the last chapter of this thing just cracks me up. It's Oh, I haven't watched no, the last you got to come back. You got to come back next week, and you got to you got to uh, find out what um, George W. Bush's final lessons are for all of us. I can't wait. Nobody can wait. It's so exciting. You see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they fail past. pass They ain't here to learn, 
support team uh brian siano our free floating agent of chaos aka research guy and also colin mccoy who does all of our music you can also find him he out there in music world he is known as diesel boots 